0: And your love for others would be seen and heard. Father, thank you that you work through your Son and by your Spirit in real time and space. And we're asking now that you would work through your Word, that you would feed your flock, your people, nourish your children. And may uh, your presence in our lives be our greatest treasure, our highest joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, um, we're missing some of the youth. They're at a a spring topic of dating. And so they're having like a bunch of talks and panels and small groups on... um, on dating, I told my daughter Addie, "Now, don't you come back from this youth retreat with a boyfriend or anything." You know, you know it's like stay friends. Um, in the schools, are are navigating this topic, and it's good to go to God's Word and um, be rooted and established there. Um, just to kind of welcome you into my world for for a moment. Many of you have been here, but this week, my oldest Addie got her driver's license. <laughs> I know. So it's like this big kind of chapter of life in the Newman family. Um, we, were, we were talking about it prior to the test, and I, I said, hey, um, once you get your license, uh, Daddy is going to give you 10 bucks and he wants you and Sophie to go to Dairy Queen and go get a Blizzard and celebrate. And she like was, had all these like range of emotions, like, oh, that sounds exciting. Oh, that sounds terrifying. And she was like, maybe you could just like sit in the back seat with me, and, and, you know, and like just like. And um, and it was crazy. Like, slapped down the. She got it, by the way. Slapped down the ten bucks. And I said, Addie and Sophie, go for it. And they looked at each other and they got in the car and she started up the car. And, and, and I go, like, and there goes my two oldest daughters. It's like they're going to college or something, right? And it was like, what in the world am I doing? I'm sending them to Dairy Queen. What, what could happen? Like, what if they get in an accident? What if they. And also, like, nervousness and like, Fear comes creeping in my heart. I'm like, ooh, this is is what it means to let go. Okay, Lord, right, I'm praying. What I experienced this week was this big compared to what we're going to see in the text today. Uh, David is a fugitive. He's on the run, and he is experiencing not just this like, Sending his daughters off to Dairy Queen five minutes away, anxiousness, nervousness, fear. Uh, people are after him.. He's afraid. Have you ever been there? You ever been nervous? You ever been desperate? You ever been anxious? Have you ever been fearful? You know, sometimes in the Christian life, It's like you are just coming off the battlefield and you are feeling kind of like David, standing victorious. This is the victorious Christian life. I feel like well-equipped with God's Word. I feel like filled with the Spirit. I'm ready to go out on the battlefield. Woo! Who's with me, right? Sometimes that is the experience of the Christian life. Amen? Sometimes, sometimes it's fearful, it's anxiousness, it's weak. And sometimes you need 1 Samuel 21 in your life to speak to you. So if you're anxious or fearful, nervous about anything, this chapter is for you. If you're not, why don't you just put this chapter in your back pocket? Because I promise you, you'll probably... Uh, Today, there are two scenes in 1 Samuel 21. If you kind of just glance at it with your eyes, you'll see it that he goes to Nob first, then he goes to Gath. Two scenes, and really we're going to talk about two spiritual conditions that he experiences in these two places. And so there's two points, okay? That David, as he goes to these two places, as he goes to Nob, he gets one, he gets nervous in Nob, we're going to say, and this in Nob. We're going to talk about fear. And the cool part about this passage is that we see David doing these things, but it's really incomplete if we don't read elsewhere in Scripture. What I love about 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, is that we, get, um, we read through it and we get the narrative of what's going on. But when we look at the Psalms, we see exactly what david was thinking and feeling what was going on on the inside and so each of these passages each of these scenes um, there's a psalm related to it and it will unlock the meaning and the mystery of what's going on in this passage so i'm excited i'm ready to go for it are you yes. all right the title and the timeless truth and you'll Figure out what that means in a little bit. The timeless truth, or like the argument of the text, or what it's saying in a sentence is this: that in your anxiousness and fear, God provides exactly what you need. Isn't that a great message? That's what we're going to hear today uh, through story and through application. And if you're visiting with us, we we go through the scriptures. um, But if you've been here for a while. Um, we're not, I promise you this. We're not gonna get lost in Gath. We're not gonna get lost in Nob. We're not gonna stay there and glory application. So this this sermon, heavy on application. Let's go ahead and hear the story. This is 1 Samuel 21. David is running, he's on the run, he's alone, he's fearful, he goes to the priest, named Ahimelech, okay? Who is, who's from the, the line of Eli. Do you remember Eli, Hophni, Phineas Way back when, when we started this book. He goes to him and they have this conversation. And um, the conversation is weird because the anointed one isn't giving Himalek, the priest, straight answers. The priest is like, where are you coming from why are you alone like usually kings travel with like horses and chariots and lots of people what's going on and david like gives him these like (laughs) and um I, i love going through the scriptures with the church and the church talks about it and i love groups how they're talking about the scriptures this is one question from the last two weeks this is from the youth group hey when is it okay to lie because last chapter we saw David and Jonathan like basically pitch a story to their dad. That was lying. Now we're seeing David lie to the priest. What's going on? Okay. Right? It's beautiful. Like the word of God is, is working, and we're asking the questions. Um, the short answer is, there's, different, there's a difference between like, lying to your parents about why you're late coming home like from curfew and things like that. And um, operating in wartime, espionage, uh, spy type situation. Um, there's a lot of commentary on why David doesn't quite answer him with the full truth. Some say perhaps he's protecting Ahimelech. Uh, others, others just straight up say, I don't know. He's he, he's just he's just he's just trimming his sails here. Um, the answer, though, actually isn't provided in Scripture. Um, the narrator doesn't deal with it. He doesn't go into great depths about why he's lying. Why? Because that's not the main point of the passage. But it's, it's, a, it's a good question that stems from the Scriptures. Um, a great example from history would be Cory Ten Boom. Now, who's read The Hiding Place, right? Cory Ten Boom hid, hid Jews in her home during the, ta- during the time of the Nazi regime. And uh, she didn't want to lie. She wasn't like committed to lying. But she was under extreme pressure and the times were difficult. And so she was winsome. Um, when, when the Nazis came to her door and said, are you hiding the Jews? Where are the Jews? She would bang her foot on the ground and bang her foot on the, on the walls. Was she lying? Well, she's a pretty smart lady, huh? So, there's a difference between lying to your parents and then lying or um, operating in different circumstances, such as this. The short of the story is that David goes to Ahimelech and he gets two things. He says, Hey, I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? And the priest gives him bread. And then he says, Hey, you got any weapons? And the priest gives him a sword. Let's read it together. Find it with me. Verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Parentheses, not really, right? Verse 9. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. So, um, obviously, like the way to read Scripture is not a one-to-one correlation from text to today. Hey, if you're anxious, go ahead and run to church and ask for bread and weapons. Right? I mean, the <laughs> I'm seeing the military guys laughing. <laughs> So he gets bread, and he gets a sword. This sword, no doubt, is known throughout the land. David says there's none like it. Obviously, he's seen it, he used it. There's none that compares to it in weight and size. This is like, and he's given this weapon. Before we run to just like, what are the lessons that we need to learn from Nob? Um, There's one other character that uh, the narrator introduces that I'd like to introduce that'll set us up for next week, okay? Find, find verse 7 with your eyes. Now, one of Saul's servants was there one day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Now, some of you know this, but uh, my wife went to go visit her mom this week in Arkansas. She took our two youngest. And, um, and so anytime Hannah leaves, I kind of show them a very masculine movie, you know, like before they graduate, there's a certain number of movies that I want my girls to see just to be like, just to be human and to like, to know like goodness and, and truth and wonderful great things. And so we watched Rocky IV, Okay. <laughs> Now, I figured if I'm going like, to get my girls onto Rocky, I'm going to skip Rocky 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to go to the greatest one, Rocky 4, okay? <laughs> and so I'm standing there sitting on the like, Ladies, you need to know that this is a part of our great American history. <laughs> In this movie, this this depicts the great underdog. There is no better story than Rocky 4, You'll meet this wonderful Italian stallion, you'll meet this Russian, and they're going to have one of the greatest battles that you'll ever see. And they're like, all right, all right, okay, okay. So, um, it, this story starts off where Rocky and Apollo Creed are fighting, okay? And fathers, you got to tell your kids, if they haven't seen it yet, who Apollo Creed is, Okay. But Apollo Creed, you know, he fought him, then he became his friend, and he trained him, and now they're in the ring together, and they're like, you know, ding, ding, and then and then they go after it. Okay? Apollo Creed. Afterwards, he's training. He still feels like he's got like some life left in him. Okay? He's got the TV on, and the TV goes newsflash. And it shows these Russians, okay? The coach the Russian's wife, and the Russian. And you guys know what I'm talking about, okay? And the coach is like, we would like to play an exhibition match. You know, we are coming from Russia, and we want to take on America, and, and we have the most greatest athlete in the world, right? And that's, that might be German, you know, whatever. <laughs> just hang with me, okay? Um, and when they do, like, you just shudder. Right? And they go, his name is Ivan Drago. <laughs> and you know right away that this is a bad dude. Right away from his name. And you know he's really bad after the fight with Apollo. When Apollo's friend in his arms, Rocky's looking up to Ivan Drago. And Ivan Drago looks down and goes, if he dies, come on. <laughs> If he dies, he dies. That's when you know he's a bad dude. Church, same thing is happening right here. Okay? The guy's going, his name is Doeg. And you're supposed to go, all right? He's in the background. David knows him. He gets the bread, he gets the sword, but he knows Doeg is over there. And As soon as he gets the bread and the sword, he's got to take off. Why? Because Doeg is loyal to Saul and not the anointed one anymore. He's a snitch. And so, next chapter, we're going to see it. And we're going to see throughout this book again and again who's going to be loyal to the anointed one and who's going to be loyal to Saul. You got to choose, you can't be in the middle. That's what we continue to learn. So, application real quick. I know some of you a few weeks ago watched Nacho Libre. This week, go ahead and watch Rocky Four. Just kidding. Things to learn from Nod. Uh, the question would be, hey, have you ever been nervous in Nod? Right? Have you ever been anxious? God, this David is running for his life and he is in a desperate situation and he's anxious He's probably not responding the greatest. On paper in uh, 1 Samuel 21, but the question would be for you, are you anxious about anything in your life right now? And so here's what we learn from Nod. Number one, God provides bread. God provides for your daily needs. I mean, we are pretty quick to forget. That's why we need each other. We need God's Word. But hasn't He shown Himself to be faithful here in, in your life? Yes. Like Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, Do not be anxious. Put on. He goes on to say, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly... and what, How does He describe? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? That God himself places such great value upon you. It's like, hey, look at the birds. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? I love you. Beloved, like church of God, you are valued. And you are, amen? So just for clarity, I don't want to just keep it in the clouds like, What I'm asking is, in terms of physical provision, are you eating at least one meal a day? That's the Lord in your life. That's Him sustaining you. Let me ask, when your budget has gotten tight, when when inflation has gone up, and and you're like, I don't know how we're going to afford stuff, Have you seen the Lord drop a bag of groceries on your front porch? Have you seen the church bring over some crock pot full of soup? Have you seen even just adding a little bit of water to the chili, how He's continuing to sustain you? Friends, remember that that is the Lord providing in your life. He is sustaining you physically. Physically. Colossians says that he holds all things together. He's holding you together. Not only this, though. Not only does does he provide you with physical bread, but Jesus taught us to pray. He He said, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Jesus, in the Gospels, claims, he says, I am the bread of life. And so friends, when, not if, but when you're hungry, like who has like eaten a dinner, a massive dinner, a glorious dinner, and you're, you go to bed and you're like, I will never eat again. I can't even like handle what happens. It's like, I'm so hungry. How does that happen? It's wild. And it's, it's crazy. But like those who follow the Lord continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want more of Him. We just sing it. And He's promised. And so when you come to Him, you get Him, Himself. He is the very bread of life. And that, my friends, is great news. Who's it great news for again? For everyone. But in particular, for those who are anxious, who are nervous, who are desperate. All of a sudden, uh, desperation is not such a bad thing anymore. <laughs> it's, it's actually really good. I don 't think you ever want to move away from being desperate for God. So number one is he gives bread. Number two, he equips you for the battle. David came the knob. He got a sword. You are equipped in the fight. God has not left you alone and he's not left you without tools to battle with. He's given you the Spirit of God, and he's given you the Word, and he's given you an army around you called the church for your battles. He called me and just was was wanting to wrestle through some things and wanting some some counsel in his life, and uh, in his marriage, and his family, and I said, you know what? Could I share with you, and I've shared this with you guys before, could I share with you one of my greatest regrets in our first couple years of marriage? yeah 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 of course we were content i was content to struggle with our challenges and our problems period when we had something go on when we were struggling hannah and i would be like man this is hard this is a struggle this is a struggle and we wouldn't do anything about it meaning all the Bible and i didn't take out the sword and stab our problems i didn't use the scriptures to lead my wife and we wallowed in the mud for a couple years we struggled we still struggle you know and i'm not and I'm still not leading her perfectly but what i'm talking about is very almost vbs ish i didn't say to her you know what we're going through some hard times. How about we memorize a verse together? How about we lean on God's Word? How about Ephesians 5 is true that I as the husband am to wash her with the what? With the Word of God. I wasn't doing that. And I regret it. And I've asked for forgiveness from her, from the Lord. We were anxious in our struggles. What was the solution? God's word to us that was my counsel to him it's my counsel to myself that's my counsel to you dad's father's husbands use the darn word of god in your life and in your marriage use it take it out stab your problems the bible is there for every good work it's there to equip you it is their forms that you face so that you will glorify God with your life and enjoy Him forever. I'm not mad. I just think it's really important. You got me? So He equips you for the battle, He gives you the sword. Number three, He gives you, He gives us the grace. To seek him, and this is where we start kind of unlocking David's heart. What was going on in him? Uh, when prior to seminary, I did not like history. Why? It was a bunch of dates and names, and it was like big deal. And then I got to seminary and started studying great men of the faith, like Jonathan Edwards, uh, St. Augustine, um, John Owen. And started realizing that I could study history through the lens of these men. I could study the first great awakening through the lens of Jonathan Edwards. And I could understand what's going on in history. I could understand what was the what were Christians thinking during World War II? How about we read some theologians? How was the church responding? And, and all of a sudden history was unlocked. No, because we got his journal. Turn to the Psalms with me. Okay, um, we're gonna go to Psalm thirty-four. So, if you're wondering, like, okay, so far I'm, I'm tracking with you, Newman. If I'm anxious, God's gonna give me bread. He's gonna equip me for the battle. But like, is he just gonna leave me there? Um, am I on my own, or um, what about like? Is it kind of? What, what, are you going to help me, God, on the inside? Like, are you going to nourish me, provide me sustenance that I need to walk with you through these hardships? And so what I'm talking about here is grace. Is God going to provide the grace for me to seek Him, to believe, to walk with Him? Grace, if you've never had it defined for you, is the power of God to change in, oh, sweet, you know, by grace you've been saved. It's for everyday life. It fuels you. It sustains you. He's given you the power. The power that comes from the cross. And the power that it now is at work at you through the Holy Spirit. And so David... Psalm 34, it seems like he's at a wit's end, right? He's anxious, he's fearful, he's worried on the outside. What is he saying on the inside? What are you going to expect him to say? Here we go. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually on my lips. And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, hold up. I thought, I thought Psalm 34 was going to say something like, I cry out to you. I'm in such desperate like, situations. Everyone's going after me. I'm, I'm about to be killed. Where are you, God? I'm so mad. And He's going with me. And let us exalt His name together. Watch this. Verse 4. This is where I really want you to focus in. I sought, past tense, almost to say like, while He was running, while he was at a full sprint, the, ec- the external looks anxious. His insides are going, Lord, I seek You. Lord, I seek You. I am seeking You, Lord. I sought the Lord, verse 4, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Church, this dude was seeking Him the whole time. Verse 5, watch the cause and effect. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Once again, the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of... delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Isn't that beautiful? Were you thinking that this psalm came from such a desperate situation? (laughs) I wasn't. So hey church, I pray that when you are in Nob, if you're there now or one day when you're there, I pray that you will remember Nob. I'll pray that you remember that God gives you, He provides exactly what you need when you're anxious, stressed, worried, desperate. He provides these things for you to walk with Him so that you would glorify Him with your life. That's Nob. Are you tracking with me so far? Let's go to Gath, shall we? Point number two, fearful in Gath. I love Gath. Okay, pause. Why in the world, David, would you go to Gath? Right? Like This, is, this seems like... A, a crazy thing to do. Are you out of your mind? And I ask that sincerely because of his reaction, what he's doing in Gath. Everyone's asking, is David out of his mind? Okay? Do you remember Gath? Who's from Gath? Goliath's from Gath. Who else is from Gath? Well, a whole bunch of widows. Why? Because a ch- couple chapters ago, David took some gruesome tokens. From a lot of men in the Philistine area, Gath's in the Philistines. Do you remember that? Two hundred to be exact. Surely, I don't know. Fifty of those women from Gath lost a husband that day. Uh, do you think David is liked in this town? Oh my word! Widows are are, are hating him. Um, you know he, but versus all the armies of Saul, while he's in Israel. But if he flees to enemy territory, if he leaves, if he goes outside of the borders, he becomes a refugee. And if they accept him, then Saul and all his army has to go against all of the Philistine army. And so it becomes an army versus an army versus an army versus one man. You got me? I think he's probably smart. Will his plan work? let's see okay verse 11 but the servants of achish said to him isn't this david the king of the land they knew that he's not actually the king Saul's still the king what they're saying is isn't this david who killed goliath isn't he the most powerful warrior guy isn't everyone like flocking to him like what in the world are we doing housing him let's not do this okay David was there. He's listening to this conversation, okay? And I'm sure he's going like, oh no, my plan is not working. And the text says in that he experiences a great fear. The people of the land, the women... They're all saying thousands. David is ten thousands. And so look at, at verse 12 with me. David took these words to the heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Your challenge in the next moments is, is that fear sin or not? We're going to answer that in about five minutes. Here we go. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, Look at that man, he's insane! Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Well, keep your finger there. Let's figure this out. Was he sinning? What was going on in the inside with David while he was drooling out his beard? Go to Psalm 56 with me. You want to hear what was going on in his heart? Verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. Underline this. Highlight it. Circle it. I put my trust in you. Uh, friends, when David was acting insane, when he was drooling, he's worshiping. He's trusting Him. Lessons from Gath. We've got three so far. Three from Nod. Here's number four, point number four. Lessons from Gath. God provides the grace to trust In times of fear. God provides the grace to trust him. So, have you ever been to Gath? You ever been fearful? How comforting is it to know that if you are afraid, you can pray and ask God to help you trust Him. And then He provides the strength, the power, the grace so that you your heart. Everything you are can be lifted up to him and say, I, I, I trust you with what's going on. I just, last night, I was hearing this story about a guy who blew out his knee on the football field. And as he was being carted off the field, he looked at another player who he, who he was witnessing to. This guy was a believer. And he said, with a big smile, right after he blows, I, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my life. <laughs> He's got some plan. It wasn't mine. I was thinking I'd go to the NFL. He's got something. He's working out something. Wow. That's not, wow, what a great personality or what a great positive way of thinking. No, Christians, he does. That should provide great hope and encouragement for the church of God. Number four, God provides the grace. Number five, God provides the grace to praise him in times of fear. So number four was trust. Number five is related to praise. So if you're wondering where does the worship drool come into in terms of the title of the sermon, it's right here. Look at Psalm 56, verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I don't know what's more impressive or when he's like locked up and his life is being threatened he's praising God not just crying out to him um, and saying help me he is praising him for who he is and and it it took me all week to get here this week Uh, I've I've been wrestling with this text Because I I have not been there. It's been like, this has been my mode this week. This is me just being vulnerable as your pastor. Trust is something you do during the trial. But then once the trial's over, then you can sing, great is thy faithfulness. And once the trial's over, then you can praise him and say, ah, isn't he good? But David, during it, is saying, I praise you. I, I worship you. You are good. And that's what he's doing here. And it just rocks me this week. And I was able to. It was so free, Like just wrestling with God about. Re- relationships with families. And just other things. Everything. I'm going, ah! Oh, oh. I, I praise you. I praise you for what you're doing. I don't get it. Would you give me the grace? Would you give me the desire to praise you? And you know what? He does. He does. It's awesome. I, I love having you in our church. You know? It's like, yes, the people responding. It's good. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot to learn from you. Mm-hmm. God is working in David's life. That's grace. Was David sinning? I don't think so. In your fear, is it, is it sin? I don't know. But isn't it comforting to know that in your fear, if you ask Him, He will provide the grace to trust and to praise Him, even if you're not out of the woods yet. David, he was nervous and Nob, He was fearful and gath. And God provided him bread, a sword. Provided him the grace to seek him. Provided the grace to trust him. Provided the grace to praise him. And it's the same thing for you. In your fear, in your anxiousness, he provides bread. He provides you and equips you with the word. He gives you the grace to seek him even when you don't want to. He pays even though you might feel silly or disingenuous. That's what he does in your life. Isn't he a good God? How does that happen? How in the world does that happen? Well, it happened at the cross. That's when, we, when we're talking about the power of the cross, the power of the atonement. We're talking about how God, through his son Jesus Christ, purchased A people for himself and granted them the Holy Spirit when they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. He gives them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them to live. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's saved so that he has grace to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He also gave us the cup and the bread. To remember that power by. Let's take communion together. Prior to Jesus being crucified, he brought his disciples in a room and he deemed it important to say, I want to, I want to do a meal together. And I want to give this to you, disciples so that you will be equipped to remember me. I'm going to give you a tangible expression of of my work, which was broken for you. He gave them the cup. He said, this is my my blood, which was poured out for you. And he calls them and us. And he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to take the bread. And I want you to eat the cup. Or I want you to (laughs) drink the cup in remembrance of me. And not just like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. But no, no, no. For li- that you're forgiven of sin. Why? Because you'll remember that I'm coming back. And that there's this, this operation. There's this period of time when you need to wait on me. And one day all things will be made new. But not yet. And so Paul picks up on that. And he says, hey, church, I want you to take this in remembrance of him. Before you take it, make sure you do a few things. Make sure you allow yourself to be examined, which is, if if you're new to the faith, that just means allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, like, like David prays in Psalm 139, to search my heart. You know it, the meditations of my thoughts, and let it be pleasing to you. And so as the Spirit like, brings to mind maybe some sin that's in your life, maybe some unforgiveness, maybe something that you are holding on to, maybe it's an idol or whatever, that you would say, I let it go and I, I repent of that. And Lord, I fix my eyes on you now, the author and perfecter. So he says to let yourself be examined so that you'll be clean before him. He also doesn't just say, hey, if you and God are good, then go ahead and take the cup. He says, hey, in, in Matthew, he says, if you have anything against a brother, if you've sinned, if he sinned against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. And so a great place to start is in the home, husbands, wives, moms, kids, fathers, kids. If there's anything that is not together, if you're not one in spirit and purpose, if you've not asked for forgiveness for something you said or did, then what Paul is saying is that that more judgment will be put upon you. And so it's the, it's a sacred time. He also says one more thing, uh, and, and it and it and it is in essence assumed. It's it's just wise if the, if you're allowed to, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to examine you. The given is that you would have the spirit and so all throughout the church um it's the 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 table has been fenced it's been protected um, from non-believers not not with a heart to withhold but a heart to extend the gospel to make it clear hey art do you know jesus have you ever repented of your faith and placed your faith and trust in jesus if not turn to him but for now Withhold from the bread and cup. And so moms and dads, if your kids are not believers, we would ask that, that they would withhold from the bread and the cup in honor of God's word. And one of the first things to pursue, if, if, that's, if they are believers, is baptism. That they would be buried in death, raised to walk in the newness of life, and that the body could recognize and see this is done out of love out of a heart for Jesus, and a consistency with the gospel. Let's pray, and then when you're ready, you can come and take the bread and the cup, and we'll close in a song. Yeah, re-upping. Yeah. Kind of like a Costco membership. No, you gotta, it is. It's an annual. It is. It's an annual. You have to keep taking. got hit. Ugh. My Honda.